Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 177 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a tremendous week as we push towards Thanksgiving into the meat of the NFL season. But of course, we have arrived at our mid-season episode. We'll break down some stuff from last week. You know we're still going to talk week nine. We're going to break down some things there. However, we're also going to look back at our preseason award picks and our preseason playoff picks. Let's see how we're doing. Maybe good, maybe bad. We'll find out. Either way, let's get started like we start every episode. Let's jump right in to my standout seven. And number one in the standout seven, we've got the bigger story as usual, but of course, it's a little different mid-season episode. We've got a triple header with three contenders. And to just say contenders is to sell them short. We're keeping it positive. No L's this week in the bigger story. Well, that's probably not true, but we're not going to focus on it. Bigger win. The Philadelphia Eagles, defending NFC champs, taking down their division rival, the Dallas Cowboys, and not sealing their spot as a division champion, but 8-1 versus 5-3, a head-to-head win. They're getting there. Or the Kansas City Chiefs, doing what I probably knew they would do, although I picked Miami because I'm nothing if not consistent in my ability to let the new flashy team that looks good bait me into picking them over the old guard. Or, maybe I'm not so foolish. The third piece, the Cincinnati Bengals. Back from the, well, I wouldn't go so far as to say back from the dead, considering, I mean, they barely dropped below 500. We were very early in the season. Joe Burrow was hurt. We knew all that. But they went out there and they beat the Buffalo Bills in an impressive game at home. Let's get started in the NFC. Let's talk Eagles. Wow. Um, In a game where Dak Prescott throws for 374 and three touchdowns, it really, I'm going to be honest, I felt like this was Philly's game. I know Dallas is winning in halftime. I felt like this was Philly's game for the bulk of it and... I mean, it was, you know, on the other side, just 200 yards through the air for Jalen Hurts. But when push came to shove, Philly had enough on the defensive side and enough on the offensive side. Um, I'm not going to dive too far into this. I wanted to throw some flowers the Eagles way as now what is essentially the de facto best team in the NFC. Not trying to say, you know, take anything away from them, but San Francisco seems to have taken a step back and Philly obviously has not. The Kings of the NFC at the halfway point, 8-1, best record. What's there to talk about? I'm not going to say they had the biggest win, because let's be real, the majority of us thought they would win, and they did. Kudos for taking care of business. Let's talk Kansas City, and this is where we might get some negativity to creep into our standout seven, at least the opening block here. We're in Germany, right? We're trying to send over a good product. We've sent over a lot of mediocre games over the years, but here we are now sending over two high-profile teams, right? The defending Super Bowl champions and a quote-unquote rising star sort of team. They were rolling last year pre-Tua injury, and then here we are, you know, they're rolling again. Okay, cool. 
Well, this looked like a lot of Chiefs games I've seen over the years. This reminded me, with a flipped script, of course, of the Houston Texans-Chiefs playoff game, where the Chiefs phoned it in, got down big, and somehow found a way to win. This reminded me of Colts-Chiefs in the playoffs. I believe way back even in the Andrew Luck days that was. Chiefs got up big in that game and collapsed. For some reason, and realistically, I'm not trying to be that guy to Andy Reid, but this is his team, and it continues to be his team, and he's not going anywhere. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs are, I don't want to say willing, but they are prone to randomly taking a half of football off. Whether that means the first half, which it wasn't in this one, or the second half, which it certainly was, at least on the offensive side of the ball. They're up 21-0 on the Miami Dolphins, including a touchdown on the defensive side, which came from a Tyreek Hill fumble, and then a lateral and a weird defensive score. Um, Mahomes fumbles in this game. Actually, sorry, it was 21-7. Mahomes fumbles. Things start to get a little sweaty palms. And then at one point here, deep ball for Mahomes hits Valdez Scantling in the hands. And this is what I was talking about last week. I was talking last week about how I'm very impressed that Kansas City is able to do this without a true, true number one receiver. I understand Travis Kelsey's one of the best, if not the best, tight ends in football. I get it. Calm down, Swifties. I know you're out there. But in all seriousness, like, they let Tyreek Hill go. And they won the Super Bowl with... Juju Smith-Schuster, for all intents and purposes, as their best wide receiver. They're not a run-centric football team, though they certainly can run the ball when push comes to shove. Right When they want to, they can. It, it's very interesting to me. And you know, it almost came back to bite in this game. Because late in this game, obviously, it's 21-14. Miami has the ball. I'm sorry if you hear me. Sounded a little different. We're on week three, or I guess technically be week two, 14-ish days of trying to get over this cough. Got some Ricola going, trying to keep the coughs out of the edit. You know the vibes, guys. Um, yeah, and then somehow the snap gets by Tua, and I was ready to come on here and blast the center. But then after watching the replay, I didn't think it was really that bad. Maybe it was just a miscommunication. Huge play. Realistically, not just a huge play in this game, huge play... I would argue in this season, and the reason I say that is the same reason I talked about picking Miami against Buffalo and the same reason I talked about picking Miami in this game. At a certain point, if you are going to win the Super Bowl, even if you're going to win their conference, there's a message that's sent. And in the red zone or over midfield, at least I forget exactly where they were on the field, late in this game, one score game, Push came to shove, the going got tough, and Miami got going. And I don't mean they necessarily took over this game. They scored 14 in the third. I mean they couldn't get over that hump and beat a team that knows how to go out there and have their star quarterback throw for 200 yards, have their leading receiver have three catches, not have a 100-yard rusher, and still somehow win a game as an offensive-centric team. They just find ways to do it. Credit to that coaching staff. And I was talking about ripping potentially, you know, 
half tongue in cheek ripping Andy Reid, realistically, Andy Reid and Steve Spagnolo deserve credit that they can go out there and they have the, you know, to use the cliche, the intestinal fortitude, or, you know, the mental toughness to grit games out. They have done it, they can do it, and they'll continue to do it. It's impressive. And as much as I like Mike McDaniel, and I like him as much as the next guy, right now, this Miami team doesn't do that. Um, you know, you take a look. They're 6-3. and three. They lost games that going into the year you probably would think they would lose. They lost to Buffalo. They lost to Philly. They lost to Kansas City. And you can be a playoff team and not win a single game that you were the worst team. You can. Look, I mean, if we really poured over Jacksonville's numbers or the winner of some of these weaker divisions, that's how it happens. And I'm a Jacksonville enjoyer, by the way. But still, I mean, they're not the team that put up 70 on the Broncos. They're also not the team that gave up damn near 50 to Buffalo. The thing that gets me, though, is I thought the Week 1 Dolphins showed that they can get in games that are not not necessarily the gritty whatever games, because Tua threw for 460 in that game, right? Tyreek Hill had a monster game. But it's close late. It's important to win close late. But what we might have run into there is a Charger team coached by Brandon Staley that doesn't know how to close a big game. It's not necessarily a big game, but has issues closing out close wins. And a Miami team that just had some more talent when push came to shove. Um, Now, I've gotten negative on you, but the thing is, I was the same guy talking about this Kansas City team and how they're not really super impressive. I mean... They barely beat the Jets. Close game against Denver. Then they lose to Denver. They're still a formidable threat in the AFC and in the NFL. And I tend to think we might see that next Monday when they play Philly at Arrowhead. Maybe this is a let's peak at the right time. Because you take a look, we're halfway through the year, right? Right now the Kansas City Chiefs are 7-2. and two. Who does Kansas City have left? The aforementioned Philly game, Buffalo, and Cincinnati. And a game with the Chargers if you want to be that guy. Here's the thing. The scheduling quirk, if you will, and I'll wink, wink, nudge, nudge at all of you who've been complaining about Kansas City getting calls. All three of those games are at Arrowhead. All three of those games. Philly's got to go to Arrowhead. The Bills have got to go to Arrowhead. And the Bengals, in Week 17, have got to go to Arrowhead. And, I mean, if if the way things are going in the AFC holds, that might be true for the rest of the season, right? Jacksonville 6-2, nipping at their heels. Kansas City beat them. Straight up, right? Baltimore, 7-2. They will not face off. That's the uh, the interesting one here. We're not going to get a Baltimore-Kansas City game. We might see that in the postseason. Let's see how it goes. But that's where we are as of right now. Kudos to the Kansas City Chiefs for taking care of business. Kudos to the Eagles for taking care of business. Kudos to Nostra Donatic 
for not bailing on these Cincinnati Bengals. Let's get into the third piece and number one here. Joey B looked pretty good, huh? 348, two touchdowns, 21 in the first half. Almost Kansas City Chiefish, by the way. 21 in the first half. Score three in the entire second half. We won't go there. We'll let you take your victory lap. Deserved. Big game out of T. Higgins. Not so much out of Jamar Chase, but they did what needed to be done. Bill's defense was pretty good at stopping the run. Um, on the other side, what do we need to talk about with Josh Allen? Right? 7 nothing Cincinnati. 7-7. 14-7. Josh Allen interception. 21-7. All right. Like... What are we doing? What are we doing? We had a weird discussion where Chris Collinsworth was debating the intent part of intentional grounding. Oh, he ran the wrong route. Yeah, guys are always going to say they ran the wrong route. Come on, what are we doing? But, I mean, this is who Buffalo is, right? Their leading rusher was Josh. Josh turned the ball over once. They lost by six. This is a Buffalo Bills game through and through. The defense quite honestly, buckled down after giving up 21 in the first half. Kudos to the defense of Sean McDermott's squad, obviously. Um, and if you're Zach Taylor, you're kind of wondering why he couldn't pile on a little more, but it is what it is. They hold on to win this one. It's the turnovers, and they just never have a running game. I've been watching the same Buffalo team for all these years. We've had this conversation. If you've been listening to the show for more than, you know, a month, which, by the way, even if you've been here a month, shout out to you. If you've been here years, double shout-out to you. I have the same complaint about the Buffalo Bills every year. All right, well, they've got some talent in the backfield with insert running back name here. Let's see if they can give them the ball. Nope. They don't do it. All right, well, Josh has got that gunslinger, but, man, he's really rolling. Womp womp. Bills going home in January. I'm going to tell you, Bills fans. I'm sorry, and for that reason... And also because Nostradonautic's got to pat himself on the back. I'm giving the biggest win to the Bengals. This is, I talk about narratives and things like that. And it's corny. Call it journalist brain or whatever you want to call it. We're back. They beat Buffalo. Granted, it's in Cincy, I know. But you got to play the game wherever they tell you to play. And they win this one. Kudos to them. I'll give them the slight edge over Kansas City and Philly. Although, they took care of business as well. Good week for the big dogs. Number two in the standout seven, let's talk about questionable contenders. And by questionable, I mean I want them to be contenders, and I don't know if they are. Let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings beating the Falcons and killing some parlays out there. Now, I'm, I'm tempted, admittedly, to change the way that I am looking at a pick or two that I made. Now, what, what makes me say that? Well, the reason I say that is I picked the Atlanta Falcons operating under the assumption we would get no Dobbs. And if memory serves, I explicitly said that I probably would have been pro-Vikings if we had Dobbs. Well, Josh Dobbs came in and did what Josh Dobbs does. Led the team in rushing. Didn't see that one coming. Seven carries for 66. 20 of 30 through the air to guys that he doesn't even have in his phone. Buck 56, two touchdowns. Yeah, he did his business. He did his business. TJ Hawkinson, good game. Jordan Addison, good game. Justin Jefferson on the mend. This Viking team could be good, guys. 
Taylor Heineke, not awful, not great on the other side. Um, why don't they give the ball to B. John Robinson more? I, I mean, 13 touches for 60 yards. Let's give him the ball, eh? I mean, no Drake London in this one, which hurts them. I understand that. Kyle Pitts, four catches for 56. I mean, Jonu Smith looks great this year. Jonu Smith looks like the player I thought, and Bill Belichick thought, he was getting in New England. Um, but why are we scheming everything for the number two tight end? Is it just a matter of, you know, they're double teaming Pitts? Are they? Can, can we not get Pitts open? Can we not get our freak athlete tight end involved in the offense a little more? And I've seen Falcon fans complaining about this, and you're 100% right, guys. I mean, what is there to say? You've got a tremendous talent at receiver in Drake London. You've got an athletic specimen at tight end in Kyle Pitts. And you've got a pretty darn good running back, it seems, in Bijan Robinson. And between them, they're going to get the ball 20 times. You know, it might be eight, eight carries, four catches for Bijan, three catches for Pitts, and fill in whatever's left for Drake London. It's weird. I mean, it's... When you're drafting high, like it's, you know, you should be getting good players, but they're getting quite a bit of talent at the skill positions here and just not making anything of it. Anyway, the reason we're here is to talk about the Vikings. And right now, just to take a peek at the NFL standings, specifically the NFC standings, obviously we've got Philly at 8-1, and one, Detroit at 6-2, and two, um, New Orleans at 5-4, and four, actually would be... San Fran at five and three, then New Orleans at five and four. Right in the thick of it, we've got Dallas five and three, Seattle five and three, Minnesota Vikings five and four. Oh, by the way, who's behind them? The Falcons at four and five. Big head-to-head win. Um, would it be crazy of me to say that this Josh Dobbs-led Vikings team can do most of, if not all of, what they were going to do with Kirk Cousins this year? And I don't mean he's as good a quarterback as Kirk Cousins, because a true, like, straight-up thrower of the football, I would say Kirk is better. But you can't argue that Josh Dobbs has more athleticism, and he seems to have a little bit of that it factor. Not that Kirk doesn't, but, uh, I mean, primetime Kirk is is not a good thing. Let's see what primetime Dobbs could be, right? And with Kirk getting older, who knows? Maybe this will be Dobbs' team, right? I'm... Very intrigued, and I'm impressed with what I saw in that second half. Good for the Vikings. And speaking of, like I said, did I mention the other team already? Let's talk about this Texans-Tampa game, which was awesome. Awesome game. Awesome. 17-10 at half. It ends 39-37. What? This game was bonkers. C.J. Stroud, the de facto offensive rookie of the year. He is the offensive. He could... He could stop playing. You know, if something were to happen, unfortunately for Texan fans, God forbid, obviously, he wins it. He's him. He is. Uh, Bryce Young on Thursday Night Football. We'll talk primetime games a little bit. Not looking like him. Certainly not. Um, Wow. Wow, what a win. This Texans team, the problem is it's a crowded AFC. Right? As we sit right now, we've got Baltimore and Kansas City both at seven and two. Jacksonville six and two. Um, Miami six and three. In the wild card alone, right? You have five and three. Everybody in the North that's not the Ravens. 
Pittsburgh, Browns, and Bengals. Then you have Buffalo 5-4. and four. Then you have Jets 4-4, four and four, Chargers 4-4, four and four, Texans 4-4. Four and four. Oh, by the way, Colts 4-5, and five, Raiders 4-5. and five. What? Like, the AFC's really good. And the NFC, not as good. Um, man, it'd be fun to see this Texans team in the postseason. It really would. Just to see what they could do. Right? A little young team that's overachieving. Let's do it. Who had the bigger win? Both of them. Both of them had good wins. If I had to pick one, I'd pick Minnesota because it's a new QB, helping instill some confidence, second half rally, whatever. Houston is playing with house money. Both of them. Both had huge wins. Kudos. Speaking of kudos, number three in the standout seven, we're going to ditch the bigger story, and we are just going to throw some praise at the Baltimore Ravens. Now, in past, admittedly, I have not been the biggest praiser of the Baltimore Ravens. However, in the past couple of years, the Baltimore Ravens haven't really given me a super amount to praise, if we're being completely honest. I've mentioned before and over and over that I think that they should go out and get a number one wideout for Lamar. And I think I've mentioned that they can try and diversify the way they do certain things in their offense. That's not going to happen. But you know what? It's not going to matter. The Baltimore Ravens run game still looks dynamic. Odell Beckham is on the football field for now. Mark Andrews doing the thing. I think at one point I slandered Mandrews a few years ago. You know what? I'm taking it back. Him and Lamar. Great connection. Not going to get the hype of a Kelsey and Mahomes because they're not going to put up the numbers, but it's a great connection. You better record this, Raven fan, because when they lose a big game, I'm going to get back to slandering. It's the way it be. If they lose to Cleveland, you're going to have to record this and play it back. If they lose on Thursday Night Football to Joey B, I'm going to be calling it doom and gloom. No, but in all seriousness, this Baltimore team is really good. Right now, a lot of people are saying Lamar Jackson is potentially in the running, going to get his second MVP. I don't know if I'd go that far. We'll talk uh, midseason awards in a bit here, but I mean, come on. Geno Smith throws for a buck 50. The Seahawks rush for like 30 yards. What more can you want? Keaton Mitchell, who? Nine carries for a buck 38 and a touchdown. The Gus Bus, five carries for 52, two touchdowns. I mean, I don't know if I said it on the show, but I was saying it in in real life to people when I was talking football, um, or off air, I should say, keep it professionally, <laughs> professional rather. Uh, no, I was saying that at the trade deadline, they would be the perfect fit for a guy like Saquon Barkley. It made all the sense in the world to me. Obviously the trade wasn't there and yada, 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 but I saw no reason why they shouldn't be in the Saquon Barkley business, especially considering their lead back gets hurt almost every year, no matter really who it is. Um, Right now, the Baltimore Ravens' defense is elite, and I am very angry that we will not see them against Kansas City. We will see them against Cincinnati very soon. We will see them against the Chargers and the Jaguars and the Niners on Christmas, which is kind of okay. I mean, it's not the Harbaugh Bowl. Jim's not there anymore. Um, But still, and we will see them against Miami. And they'll get revenge, potentially, on Pittsburgh to end the year. But, man, I want to see that game with Kansas City. 
Either way, kudos to the Baltimore Ravens. Here it is. Remind yourself that this was, in fact, a thing in the show. We did praise the Baltimore Ravens at some point. Primetime wrap-up. We already talked Bills and Bengals. Do we need to talk Chargers-Jets? Why did everyone pick the Jets in this game? Let's be real. Let's let's chat, guys. Why did everyone pick the Jets in this game? Was it all just assuming the Chargers would blow it? Like, because as much as you can rip the Chargers, Justin Herbert's not a bad player. He goes for a buck forty in this game, by the way. He didn't really do much. Um, the Jets are being led by Zach Wilson, who's who's not the guy yet, at least conservatively, not the guy yet. Moreover, he threw the ball, not counting sacks. Through 49 passes. That can't be. That cannot be the most efficient way to run their offense. You know how many touches Dalvin Cook had? Three. Remember when they signed Dalvin Cook? People were like, ooh, lightning and thunder with him and Brees Hall. Brees Hall touched the ball in this game 16 times, okay, for 50 yards. Not great, but he was trying. He was plugging along. Dalvin Cook just Nathan. Nathan. No, non-factor for this Jets team. Okay. Well, such is life. Why did you... Well, who picked the Jets? But it's comments, social media. If where you're listening has a comment section, social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Let me know. Are you... Did you like the odds, right? Did you get a nasty parlay going because you had the Jets in it? Not it, man. We're not going to dive into it. Thursday Night Football, do we need to dive into this one? I'm not trying to skimp on content for you guys, but we got the awards thing coming up. It's going to be a longer episode. I mean, Tyson Bajan goes 20 of 33 for a buck 62. Bryce Young goes 21 of 38 for a buck 85. Like this was a 1980 something football game. And not because the defenses were playing tremendous, just because we weren't really throwing the ball and we were, you know, not putting up great numbers. Uh, Deontay Foreman, 80 yards on the ground and a touchdown, right? That's neat. Leading rusher for the Panthers had 23 yards. Leading receiver was Michael Strahan, not Strahan. One catch for 45. Um, I saw the quote recirculating that Adam Thielen said he could win a Super Bowl in Carolina. Sure, why not? Um, I mean, this is good for the Bears, theoretically, right? Because, like... Keeping Carolina down, they have both picks. So at least if Carolina goes 1-16, you know you're going to get the number one pick. Um, if you're both kind of in the two-win range, you got to worry about like the Giants and a couple other bad teams. All right, sure. Tanking efficiently, I guess. Why not? Number five in the standout seven. Really, it's five and six. So we're going to do number five. We're going to talk standings and postseason picks preseason. And then number six, we'll do awards. I'll probably forget to transition verbally, so just know that that's how we had it laid out. Preseason picks. I had my seeding in the AFC as follows. Number one seeded Cincinnati Bengals. That would not be the case right now, obviously. I had Buffalo at number two, Kansas City at three, Jaguars at four. Right now, Kansas City and Baltimore are tied at 7-2. and two. I don't care enough to look up the tiebreaker, to be honest. Then we have Jacksonville at 3, Miami at 4. 
almost hit it on the nose with three of the four teams. Not that it's that hard. My wild card teams were the Chargers, the Ravens, and the Dolphins. Right now, they would be oof, the entire AFC North on percentage because they're all five and three. Buffalo's five and four. Chargers not far behind, as we discussed before. Then, obviously, in the postseason, I had the Bengals coming out of the AFC, beating the Chiefs in the championship game. On the NFC side of the bracket, I had the Philadelphia Eagles as my one seed, San Francisco at two, the Vikings at three, and New Orleans at four. Right now, it is Philly one, Detroit two, San Fran three by percentage, and New Orleans at four. Close-ish. My wildcard teams, don't laugh at me. Giants, Seahawks, Lions. Right now it would be Dallas, Seahawks, Vikings. All right. So we swapped up the NFC North, but all in all, we've got most of the playoff teams here, folks. We've got most of them, and we've got time to go. I mean, the Giants are embarrassing me, but that's life. I've been used to that for, you know, decade plus. Most of the 26 years of my life. Used to that one. Um, Then I had... Niners-Eagles, NFC Championship game with Philly coming out on top. I had the Bengals beating the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Right now, it would be hard for me to defend an Eagles-Niners-NFC Championship game. I still believe it is possible. I still believe it is relatively likely. If San Francisco can... Well, I shouldn't say it was hard for me to defend that, eh? I still believe it's likely, considering I think they can get on track, they being San Francisco. But right now, the second-best team in the NFC is Detroit, right? If we were to play that game. Uh, And then, obviously, the AFC, Kansas City and Baltimore are the best teams. Would it shock me if Cincinnati made a run? No. I still think Bengals-Eagles is very possible. Um, Would I call it likely? What's the percentage chance in order for you to say likely, right? Is, is it 51%? Because I wouldn't say there's a 51% chance. I wouldn't have said it at the beginning of the season. But I would say I'm comfortable that both of those teams could be in the Super Bowl. Now, preseason MVP pick, MVP pick excuse me, Joe Burrow. That is almost certainly not going to happen. Joe Burrow, 12 touchdowns, 4 interceptions right now. At the halfway point, he would have to completely and utterly ball out. We're talking, what, at least 30 touchdowns in the next uh, nine games? Which is doable for that offense. But that would be very, very significant, I would say. Not likely. Offensive player of the year, I had Tyreek Hill. Spoiler, I'll probably still have him. Defensive player of the year, I had TJ Watt. Spoiler, I'll probably still have him. Offensive rookie of the year, I had Jordan Addison over Jameer Gibbs. See, Jordan Addison's got bad luck, guys. We'll get into it in a sec. Defensive rookie of the year, I had Will Anderson Jr. I'm not going to lie to you. I got to double check his stats even as we sit. Two sacks. Not going to happen. Could be a, a significant end of the year, though. As a pass rusher, a couple of big games could really buoy your stat line for the year, right? Uh, comeback player of the year. I had Derek Carr. Mm. Possible. Coach of the year, Dennis Allen. Not going to happen. Not gonna, Nope. Not going to happen. So, 
As we sit right now, it is November the 10th. Who is Nicholas Donatic picking as his MVP at the midseason point of the NFL season? I'm taking Jalen Hurts. I'll admit this was close. I read through. I cheated a little. I checked out what everybody else was saying. And a lot of people were leaning Lamar Jackson. And I was a little confused. Um, Not because Lamar Jackson is not a great player. He is a great player. He is one of the best players in the NFL. However, I think Baltimore's defense has had a very heavy hand in what they've done. Also, if we look statistically, Jalen Hurts at this point in the season has a 68.9% completion percentage. Lamar Jackson on the other side, 71.5. All right. Jalen Hurts, 2,347 yards. Lamar Jackson, 1,950. Okay, fine. 15 touchdowns to 8 picks for Hurts. 9 touchdowns, 3 picks for Jackson. It's just too low. And I know what you're going to say. What about the rushing numbers? Yeah, 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 we're getting there. We're getting there, I know. But what you got to realize is, you're talking about a certified tush pusher. Lamar's got 440 yards and 5 touchdowns. Jalen's got 316 and 7 touchdowns. So Jalen, who already had a 6-touchdown lead, extends the lead even further. Now, I'll be that guy. The other team that's in the running in the AFC is Kansas City. So what's Patrick Mahomes got? Well, 68.6% completion percentage, which would be, you know, kind of in the middle, or sorry, the lower of the three of them. He also has 17 touchdowns, 2,440 yards, which would be more touchdowns, more yards than the other two and eight interceptions, which would be equal to that of Jalen Hurts. How about rushing yards? Well, 250 yards, which is nothing to scoff at. He's pacing for the most rushing yards he's ever had in a season. No touchdowns, though. Uh, I, I don't think they'll give it to Mahomes. He's already got two. I think he will obviously win more, but not yet. I think right now the leaders... In the clubhouse, if this were a, like a Major League Baseball thing where you could have one for each conference, I would be confident in saying it'd be Hurts and Lamar. Um, from what I read, I believe Vegas has it dead even. Plus 400 for either of them. Um, Mahomes is at plus 260. He was the favorite. I believe that might be a beginning of the year number. Not 100% certain. This is from NFL.com. Um, but right now, I would say he is not the favorite in my book. I would say Jalen Hurts over Lamar Jackson, but it is close. Offensive player of the year. I picked Tyreek Hill. I mean, Nostradonatic knows what he's doing. It was an obvious pick. Tyreek's got 69 grabs, 1,076 yards, eight touchdowns. Leading in yards, near the top in receptions, near the top in touchdowns. What what do we got to talk about, right? You want to make an argument, and a couple of weeks ago, this argument would have been a lot stronger. You want to make an argument, For Christian McCaffrey, you can. I'll admit, you can. He's got 652 rushing yards, excuse me, 292 receiving yards. 
So all purpose that would still put him below Tyreek. Tyreek is pushing 1100. McCaffrey would be just barely under 950. McCaffrey's got 13 touchdowns though. That's what would give him the edge, right? Fair enough. Uh, I'm still going Tyreek Hill. Now, you want to talk about other people that could theoretically wind up in this conversation for the MVP? I think Tua Tungavailoa, if Miami can keep can crushing and or potentially get you a good win every once in a while, right? Tua's got 2,600 yards already, 19 touchdowns. They put up stats out there. They put up points out there. He could wind up in this. People talked about C.J. Stroud. No. I like C.J. Stroud. I like what he's doing. No. Not going to happen. Alrighty, that brings us to Defensive Player of the Year, which is kind of a complicated award. Because right now, Geno Stone has six interceptions. I can tell you with a fair amount of confidence, Geno Stone will not win Defensive Player of the Year. But if Geno Stone continued to pace, and he ended the year with like 10 interceptions, I mean, what what argument is there to make, right? Like, come on. What are we doing? What it comes down to more often than not with this award, much like the MVP is a quarterback award, Defensive Player of the Year more often than not is a pass rusher award. Genuinely, that's what it comes down to. Right now, Daniil Hunter has 10 sacks. I don't think he'll win it. I don't. He's a great player, and look, he's got double the total number of tackles as T.J. Watt. Double. Double the solos, double the assists. Maybe he will. Maybe I'm talking myself into it. He's got three forced fumbles, too. You know, he doesn't have the name. The name appeal. I'm sticking with T.J. He's got nine and a half sacks, just barely under. Six passes defense. He's got an interception. He has three fumble recoveries. To go with two force fumbles, I'm going with TJ. I picked TJ at the beginning of the year. You know what? I'm sticking with TJ. Players I would throw in, Max Crosby. If we're talking tackles, he's got 56 combined. More than both of them. Nine and a half sacks as well. Just the one force fumble, one recovery. Um, 13 TFLs, which would be tied for the lead in the league. Great player. Man, he's a great player. Um resurgent comeback player of the year sort of thing. Khalil Mack's got nine sacks, though I think about, what was it, like five of them in one game. Don't think that'll pace for the rest of the year. Um, Micah Parsons, always in this conversation. Would I throw him in there right now? Probably not, but somebody would. Somebody would vote for him. Um, Bradley Chubb down at six sacks, but he's got four forced fumbles. Worth noting. Shout out to Geno Stone. While we're here, but I'm sticking deep. I'm sticking with TJ, and then I'm putting Max Crosby as my number two. Offensive, I'm going Tyreek with Christian McCaffrey as my number two. Realistically, you probably should have somebody else, but he's just got he scores a touchdown every game, guys. Offensive rookie of the year is a race that makes me angry. It's a race that makes me angry because I can't award it to the players that I think are having tremendous years because CJ Stroud is having an astonishing year. 14 touchdowns to one pick. The Houston Texans are pretty much in contention for the playoffs. They're 4-4, four and four, right? Nobody saw this coming. He wasn't the number one pick. Worth noting as well, by the way. Bryce Young goes number one, right? So uh, here we are. 
here we are. Middle of the NFL season, and he is already... I mean, people are saying he's an MVP candidate. I don't think so, but you can make the argument. He turned the team around. He is quite valuable. Stroud's going to run away with this award. Barring an end-of-the-year shenanigans that no one sees coming. The reason I'm angry is because I can't give any love to some of these other guys. Have you ever uh, you ever heard of a guy named Puka Nakua, who's fourth in the league in receiving yards, and you didn't know what a Puka Nakua was four months ago? 827 yards, 64 catches, two touchdowns? Will he keep the pace? I don't know, but I'll tell you this much. He's got to clear 1,000 receiving yards easily. He'll clear 1,200. He'll get 100 grabs. Tremendous. Oh, by the way, let's look at touchdowns. Jordan Addison, my pick. Second in the league in touchdowns. Tied with Stephon Diggs behind Tyreek Hill. Seven touchdowns. 534 receiving yards. Justin Jefferson got hurt. And Jordan Addison showed that he's, in my opinion, he's got number one receiver potential. He does. Him and Jefferson is a gnarly combo. And add in TJ Hawkinson. Man, it is a shame Kirk Cousins went down. Wow. They might have been one of those surprise teams trying to make a run. This is late in the career for Kirk. You got to make the run eventually, right? Otherwise, it's just never going to come. Oh, by the way, while we're here, let's talk about Bijan Robinson. Remember I was talking about how he doesn't get the ball? Yeah. He is ninth in the league in rushing. He's making flashy play after flashy play. He's got good hands. He's doing the thing. He has less carries than all the people in front of him. I'm disappointed that I cannot heap praise. Well, I can heap praise upon these players, and I'm doing just that. I'm disappointed that I cannot... I cannot, you know, give them all an award, so to speak. Like, this is quite the crop we're running into here, folks. Defensive Rookie of the Year, a little bit harder. Not trying to knock the defensive guys, because there's some good players, but... I mean, is it is it Witherspoon in Seattle? One interception. Is it Henry To'o To'o? I think I didn't botch that name. In Houston, 53 combined tackles. I'm going Byron Young with the Rams. 39 combined tackles. Five sacks. I mean, two forced fumbles. Why not? Let's go with him. Let's let's take a peek real quick. Who did the uh, the jabronis? I say lovingly. At NFL.com give it to. They gave it to Jalen Carter. Fair enough. Great player. Devin Witherspoon. Not even on the list. Not even on the list, my boy Byron Young here. You know what? I'm putting him on the list. He's on the list for me. On the list. Through nine weeks, Jalen Carter has 31 pressures via next-gen stats. That's awesome. That's, that's truly... That's great. Um... How many, how many sacks does Jalen Carter have? Four. Just barely under? You know what? Fair enough. But I'm going Byron Young. Let's keep it different. We're doing this not live, but one take Drake. So that was a genuine reaction out of me. Uh, Coach of the Year. This is a weird one. Coach of the Year is a weird one because the beginning of the year when I pick it, I project forward some sort of a narrative that I think is going to be relatively accurate. 
And then at the midway point, I kind of have to project how the end of the season is going to go. So, right now, I have three candidates in mind. Number three is Mike Tomlin. Because right now, the Pittsburgh Steelers are a playoff team, and I don't think anyone really saw that one coming. Now, I reiterate, this happens very frequently, I feel like. Pittsburgh is always in it, and Mike Tomlin gets praise heaped on him, and he deserves it. But you know what? If Pittsburgh makes the postseason, right now, like I said, they are above teams like Buffalo and the Chargers. If they make the postseason over the Chargers, and Buffalo I think will make it, but over the Chargers, over even, you know, who knows, a Cincinnati, over a a streaking Houston team with a young QB that looks better than Kenny Pickett already, sorry Pittsburgh fan, I think that would be worthy of consideration, maybe even winning the award. For me, he's number three. Number two is to the man who's the head man for the number two team in the NFC, and it's Dan Campbell. Everyone loves Dan Campbell, and it's with good reason. The man's just doing the thing. He's doing his job. He's riling people up. He's keeping you involved. He's keeping you focused on him, a la Rex Ryan, not really ripping into the team. Add in... Minnesota having to go to a QB change. Detroit should win this division. They should potentially run away here a little. You know what? Why not? With San Francisco taking a step back, they're still tight with Seattle. Give me Dan Campbell at number two. If somehow, if somehow, the Detroit Lions are able to get the number one seed in the NFC, I say Dan Campbell is easily the coach of the year. Now, that's that's a big if. The Eagles are 8-1, but they've got Kansas City, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas again, and Seattle. Can they lose? How many would they need? You need them to lose three of those games, maybe? Detroit's schedule's not hard, guys. They've got Chicago, Green Bay, New Orleans, contender-ish, Chicago again, Denver. Two of their, All three of their last games are more challenging. They've got Minnesota in Minnesota, who will be in it on Christmas Eve. Dallas in Dallas, and then they end against Minnesota again. If they can get the one seed, Dan Campbell should be the coach of the year. However, as I sit right now, He is not my coach of the year. My coach of the year is D'Amico Ryans because the Houston Texans are an anomaly. They are a Madden NFL franchise. I know how many of you out there play Madden football. Alrighty. Put your hand down. I can't see your hand. Now, if you're a fan of a given team, you've done exactly this. You've gone in when your team is bad or when you think your team is not good. You will fire your coach and you will create a new coach. And if you want to name him Nick Donatic or whatever your name is, you can do that too. Or if you're more of a storyteller, what you might do is you might say, hmm, Houston Texans are going to fire their coach and they're going to bring in <gasps> D'Amico Ryans to be their head coach. And immediately you pick a quarterback number one and hey, you're four and four. You're, you're cruising. This team is turning around. They did this in real life. It's tremendous. 
it's I don't know what adjectives to throw at it, guys, because it's it's kind of unbelievable that it is occurring in the NFL right now. Kudos to D'Amico, and no better way to give kudos than to award the man who was assistant coach of the year, head coach of the year. Interesting question for you guys. Do you think it's better to award coach of the year to a surprise team or an overachiever, like I would be doing here with D'Amico Ryans or Mike Tomlin, or do you award it to a team that is just playing to the top of their ability, let's say. So let's say the Eagles go 16-1. and Would you make an argument for Nick Sirianni? You can. Would you say that, you know, another coach couldn't have went in there and did that? I don't know. Because, I mean, in Major League Baseball, they had, you know, coaches of 100-win teams as finalists for Manager of the Year in past years. And the teams are top 10 in payroll. People picked them to win their division, and then they won their division. And now you're going to put them in Manager of the Year? I don't know. Put it this way. I don't think I would have Andy Reid, under any circumstance other than having a perfect season, in the Coach of the Year discussion. Unless, and Chiefs fans, cover your ears and cross your fingers, unless Patrick Mahomes got hurt, and they really had to grind and, you know, hustle to get in there, and they're doing it with a backup QB and smoke and mirrors, as is, I don't think he could win it. Dan Campbell? Sure. It's Detroit. They never win in Detroit. It's Jared Goff. He's a castaway quarterback. Completely flipped the culture. Yada, yada, yada. No more Rodgers. Get the crown in the NFC North. Fine. But I don't know. I think it's got to have someone that's either overachieving or a little bit of a surprise for me to really sign off on that award. And our final award is Comeback Player of the Year. Um, As I'm sitting right now, it's kind of a hard one. I always struggle with Comeback Player of the Year. I always forget who's coming off of injuries and things like that. Um, I'm going to go Tua, just because Tua had a handful of concussions and there was concerns about his career. And now look at him. I mean, they may be underachieving or under-delivering, I should say, in big, big games, but you're allowed to not win all the big games, right? Like, And still win awards. It happens. I think two has been remarkable this year, and I think... Realistically, depending on how this second half of the year plays out, he could find himself in that MVP race again. It's going to be tough with some of the bigger losses, but it could happen. Give me Tua as my comeback player of the year. Now, news and notes to end the standout seven here. We've got Montez Sweat, an extension in Chicago. Good on him. Make Chicago look a little better for making that trade. Four years, $98 million was the numbers I saw. Uh, Daniel Jones, obviously out for the year with an ACL injury. We don't got to talk about it. Uh, worth noting, and this was discussed ad nauseum, the Giants being overly frugal with Saquon Barkley and not giving him an extra million or two a year is why they had to pay Daniel Jones the big contract because they had to sign somebody. Could have signed Barkley. Franchise tag Daniel Jones. Either way, the Giants are probably going to be out of the Daniel Jones business sooner rather than later. And I think everyone in the NFL will probably follow not too far after. In Tennessee, Ryan Tannehill officially benched for Will Levis. This is not shocking. 
I think this is like the second year in a row I've gone into the beginning of the year predicting a Tannehill benching. I thought Tannehill wasn't even going to be on their team when we were talking offseason last year. I completely bought into those rumors. I was like, yeah, whatever, they'll move on. Never did, never happened. Here he is, and well, not so much anymore. Jim Harbaugh reportedly suspended, I believe it's a handful of games here at the end of the regular season, not allowed to be on the sideline with Michigan. He's allowed to coach during the week, but not coach, if that makes sense. He can coach when there's no games, but during the games he can't be on the sideline. Okay. Um, Like, come on. He's coming back to the NFL. The Raiders have probably already faxed him a contract. He's coming back to the league. You know the deal. Um, Little note from the Antonio Pierce debut. He was asked after the game, he had the practice squad on the sideline with the team, and apparently this is something that's a little different. And you know what? As someone who's not on the sideline with the team, I'm sitting in my house watching like the rest of you, I wasn't aware that this was necessarily an abnormal thing. And I like that Antonio Pierce made the point to say that they're members of the team, they're part of the team, they help us prepare, they help us do their job help us do our job, and they should be there to see the fruits of their labor, to see the guys that are, you know, on the team in the positions they want to be in, succeeding and doing their thing. And you know what? Against the New York Giants, that's what the Raiders did. Kudos to Antonio Pierce. Congrats on the first win. More injuries. Cam Akers, torn Achilles. He's going to be done for the year. Actually, just one more injury. Um, Tommy DeVito. When he starts for the New York Giants this week, will be the 10th rookie QB to start a game this year, the most since 1950. I think this might be old news, but we'll get to it. The New York Jets called the Raiders prior to the deadline to see if they can get Devontae Adams, and there was supposedly a clear signal that that was not going to be the case. Additionally, let's we talked about Josh Dobbs earlier. I should have worked this in. Josh Dobbs, when talking about his final day as a Cardinal, final 36 hours, rather, Josh Dobbs, quote, the last 36 hours, whatever was told to me, the opposite happened. He was told explicitly to his face, you're not being traded. I'll say this, Josh. You know what? I'm sure you had some connections with those guys in Arizona. You were doing a good job. Um, I think you should be glad that you're in Minnesota. I do. I think you're going to have a chance to make a playoff push with a legit team and a legit chance to make the postseason rather than having to run out there with, let's be honest, not the best talent in Arizona, keeping the seat warm for Kyler Murray, who's keeping the seat warm probably for whoever they can try to get in the draft. So you know what, Josh? I'm sorry they did that to you, but in the grand scheme, buddy, I think you're going to see it was for the best. Shout out to Josh Dobbs. That'll bring us to the end of the standout seven of this week's episode, and that'll bring us to my favorite part, your favorite part, the pick'em portion, and we're going to get started right away with another game overseas, the Indianapolis Colts taking on the New England Patriots, coming to you at 9.30 a.m. from Frankfurt Stadium. The Colts are going to be without tight end Drew Ogletree with a foot injury and corner Juju Brents with a quad Questionable, wide receiver Josh Downs with a knee, Alec Pierce with a knee, excuse me, an ankle, and linebacker Zaire Franklin with a knee injury. Now to the Patriots' laundry list as usual. Going to be without wide receiver Devontae Parker, who's in the concussion protocol, lineman Trent Brown, who's non-injury related slash personal matter, uh, and corner J.C. Jackson, who's also 
non-injury related slash personal matter. Questionable two wide receivers, Matthew Slater, who's more of a special teamer with an ankle, and Demario Douglas with an ankle as well. Offensive lineman Vidarian Lowe with an ankle. D-lineman Christian Barmore with a knee. Dietrich Wise with a shoulder. Linebacker Juwan Bentley with a hamstring injury. And three corners, Miles Bryant with a chest, Jack Jones with a knee, and Jonathan Jones also with a knee. I'm going to take the Colts in this one. The Patriots have been very underwhelming, and I think it's a little nerve-wracking for the NFL that Bill Belichick's getting closer and closer to the top of this draft and potentially closer and closer to a Caleb Williams selection, which would be, let's just say, not great for the league, I would think. Uh, Give me the Colts to win this one on the road. I like Minshew. Minshew madness out there in Germany. Kind of like a David Hasselhoff vibe, eh? Not to mention Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman doing the thing. And just a significant amount of injuries on the New England injury report. As per usual, though. Shouldn't let that really bait me in, if I'm being honest. But here we are. 1 p.m. kicks. We're going to get started with a defensive showdown, no other way to do it, between two AFC North teams. The Cleveland Browns heading to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Browns going to be without wide receiver David Bell with a knee injury, as well as wide receiver Marquise Goodwin with a concussion, and offensive lineman Dewan Jones with a knee-slash-shoulder. Questionable, running back Pierre Strong with a hammy, and corner Greg Newsom II with a groin. For the Ravens, questionable, running back Keaton Mitchell, we just mentioned earlier, with a hamstring injury. Offensive lineman Morgan Moses with a shoulder. And two corners, Jalen Armour Davis with an illness. And Marlon Humphrey with a hammy. This should be a defensive showdown. I tend to think Deshaun Watson's more likely to turn the ball over than Lamar. Give me the Ravens to win this one. and Give me the under, if I'm being honest. Keeping it in the AFC North, we have a Super Bowl rematch. Between the Green Bay Packers and the Pittsburgh Steelers from Not Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. Packers, doubtful, two big ones on the defensive side. Linebacker Quay Walker with a groin injury and Jair Alexander at corner with a shoulder. Questionable, three offensive linemen in Josh Myers with a knee, Yash Neiman with a back, and John Runyon Jr. with a neck injury, as well as D-lineman Kenny Clark with a shoulder and safety Rudy Ford with a calf. Pittsburgh on the other side going to be without playmaker safety Minka Fitzpatrick with a hammy and D-lineman Montrevious Adams with an ankle injury. Green Bay's a weird team. Um, Aaron Jones is good. A.J. Dillon is good. There's still some talent on that defensive side of the ball. Granted, Jair and Quay Walker being doubtful. A little less talent potentially this week. Give me Pittsburgh to hold home field and win this one. And stay in the playoff hunt. Next, we got what might be our game of the week, if we're being honest. I think Cleveland-Baltimore is going to be good. Some of these games look good. You know, Detroit and Chargers later. Houston and Cincinnati, but realistically, San Francisco and the Jaguars is a legitimate, and I don't think I'd ever thought I'd be saying this, legitimate potential Super Bowl preview, coming to you live 1 p.m. from Jacksonville. Starting with the visiting team, the San Francisco 49ers are going to be without offensive lineman Aaron Banks with a toe injury, D-lineman Drake Jackson as well with a knee injury, questionable O-lineman Trent Williams with an ankle, Two D-linemen in Robert Beal and Javon Hargrave with a hammy and knee, respectively. Linebacker Demetrius Flanagan fouls with an ankle. And two corners in Darrell Luter and Samuel Womack with knee injuries. Jaguars going to be without Zay Jones and wide out with a knee. 
questionable offensive lineman, newly acquired Ezra Cleveland with a toe, corner Tyson Campbell with a hammy, and two safeties, Andre Sisco and Daniel Thomas, both with hamstring injuries as well. An interesting one, realistically, San Francisco, 5-3, and three, they're on a skid, but they're off the bye. They knew what they were walking into, and realistically, I mean, it's a close loss to Minnesota, it's a close loss to Cleveland, I'm not ready to throw San Francisco's title shots out with the bathwater here. I really want to pick Jacksonville, you know, I've been doing it with Miami, a team that I think, you know what, let's make a statement, let's show everyone how good we are. And coming into the year, I was higher on Jacksonville than I was Miami. This game is in Jacksonville, but off the bye, I think San Francisco is just going to be a little too much. Give me the Niners to win on the road. Next, we've got a battle of two NFC contenders using as many asterisks and air quotes as you want, but it's still true. The New Orleans Saints head to Minnesota to take on the Josh Dobbs-led Vikings. Saints going to be without running back Kendra Miller with an ankle injury and D-end Isaiah Foskey with a quad. Questionable fullback Adam Prentice with a knee. Vikings going to be without quarterback Jaron Hall, who's in the concussion protocol, which led to Dobbs coming in in the first place. Doubtful D-lineman Dean Lowry with a groin injury. Questionable two wide receivers in K.J. Osborne in the concussion protocol and Justin Jefferson rehabbing from that hamstring injury. Also questionable tight end T.J. Hawkinson. Offensive lineman Chris Reed with a foot, and linebacker Brian Asamoah with an ankle injury. That's a lot of big names on the injury report for the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to take Dobbs. I am. As much as I was a believer in Derek Carr and the Saints this year, and I thought they should be able to really take control of that NFC South, they haven't been able to. And quite honestly, this is a game that if we're talking on paper, I think they should win. Right? Potentially no Justin Jefferson. Potentially no TJ Hawkinson. How are the Vikings going to find a way to pull this one off? The Saints should win this game. But I don't know what I've been seeing from them this year. They're very inconsistent. And you know what? Give me the Vikings to somehow pull this one off at home. Just like they somehow pulled it off last week on the road. Next, the hot shot quarterback CJ Stroud leads the Texans to Cincinnati to take on the title contending Bengals. Texans going to be without running back Damian Pierce with an ankle injury, fullback Andrew Beck with an ankle, elbow, and shoulder, wide receiver Nico Collins with a calf, tight end Brevin Jordan with a foot, linebackers Henry To'o To'o and Jake Hansen with a concussion and a hamstring injury respectively, safety Jimmy Ward with a hammy, and their kicker Kaimi Fairbairn with a quad. Oh, by the way, if that wasn't enough injuries for you, questionable wide receiver Robert Woods with a foot, DN Jerry Hughes with a back, and corner Steven Nelson with a backslash neck. Bengals on the other side going to be without wide receiver T. Higgins with a hammy and D-lineman Sam Hubbard with an ankle. Doubtful D-tackle Josh Tupu with a shoulder. Questionable two wideouts in Charlie Jones and Jamar Chase with a thumb and back respectively. The Bengals should win this game. I think the Bengals are back. And you know what? If they really are, they shouldn't bat an eye at a rising Houston Texans team. Give me the Bengals to win at home. Next, in the first game, I guess technically in post-Ryan Tannehill era, the Titans head down to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers. They're going to be without wide receiver Traylon Burks with a concussion, O-lineman Daniel Brunskill and Nicholas Petit-Frere with an ankle and shoulder injury respectively, corner Sean Murphy bunting with a thumb and safety Mike Brown with an ankle, questionable QB Ryan Tannehill with an ankle, which is interesting because I thought they just moved on from him anyway, and corner Anthony Kendall with a hammy. 
Meanwhile, the home team is going to be without corner Josh Hayes, who's in the concussion protocol, doubtful offensive lineman Matt Filer with a knee, questionable wide receiver Trey Palmer with a neck injury, two D linemen in Logan Hall and Kalijah Kansi with a groin and quad, respectively, and two corners in Carlton Davis with a toe and Jamel Dean, who's in the concussion protocol. I want to lean towards Tennessee. I don't want to fall in love with the Will Levis shenanigans because he didn't have a great game against Pittsburgh, but that is a really good defense. Am I going to allow myself to take the bait here and kind of thrust Tennessee into the back end of this AFC wild card push? Or do I say I believe in Baker Mayfield and this Bucks team that came up really just barely short against the Houston Texans last week? You know what? Let's stick with the home team. Let's take, you know, while well, formerly Tampa Bay, let's take Tampa Baker and let's see what he can do. Buccaneers to win this one at home. Now we move into the 4 o'clock slate, which thankfully has four games this week instead of three. Our first is going to be a 4.05 kick between the Detroit Lions and the Chargers. The Lions, this was going to be from California, by the way, the Lions going to be without Vitae on the O-line with a back injury. Doubtful, Levi on Wuzurike on the D-line with a hip. Tremendous name. First try on that one. Questionable, newly acquired wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones with a rib injury. And O-lineman Dan Skipper also with a rib injury. This is a battle between a team in the Chargers that I think every year should be, oh, we're just we're just getting there. We're right, right about to push over the hump. And Detroit, who said, what hump? And is just plowing through it and is potentially en route to being the number two seed in the NFC. For that reason, as much as I think the Chargers are the better team, I'm going to take Detroit. Because how can I realistically look away from productivity and actual results? Give me Detroit to win on the road. Our only other 405 kick is a weird one, but you know what? I'm always down for a battle of the birds as the Falcons head to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Falcons going to be without wide receiver Mac Hollins in this one with an ankle injury, as well as DBD Ford with an ankle. Questionable, David Onyemata on the D-line with, you guessed it, an ankle injury. Cardinals going to be without running back Amari DiMarcato with a toe and O-lineman Tristan Colon with a calf. Questionable, running back James Conner with a knee, wide receiver Michael Wilson with a shoulder, tight end Jeff Swain with a back injury, Three O-linemen and Will Hernandez with a knee, DJ Humphreys with an ankle, and Carter O'Donnell with an ankle, as well as linebacker Ezekiel Turner with a hamstring injury. Everything I've read leading up to this one is saying that Kyler Murray is going to play. He's going to make his season debut. And realistically, the Cardinals should be better. However, I'm taking the Falcons. The Dirty Birds are, you know, will they ever learn to just give the ball to the guys that are really good? I don't know, but you know what? It's not a bad place to start this week against the Cardinals. Let's see if they do. Give me B. John Robinson for like a buck twenty-five on the ground. Maybe a touchdown for Pitts. Dirty Birds take down the Cardinals on the road. Next, we've got an NFC East matchup nobody wants to watch as we kick off the 425 slate. The Giants going to be without running back. Oh, sorry. Didn't even tell you. Giants head to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Giants going to be without running back Deion Jackson, who's in the concussion protocol as well as offensive lineman Evan Neal with an ankle injury and corner Adoree Jackson, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable running back Jay Sean Corbin with a hammy, wide receiver Paris Campbell with a hammy, offensive lineman Mark Glowinski with a personal matter, and linebacker Aziz Ojolari with an ankle. 
Cowboys, questionable wide receiver Cavante Turpin with a shoulder. The Cowboys should win this game. Um, I believe I checked earlier this week. The Giants were 16-point dogs. That sounds about right. Worth noting while we're here, by the way, that the team that I ripped last week for not allowing Tommy DeVito to throw the ball let Tommy DeVito throw the ball 20 times. And he went 15 of 20, a buck 75, a touchdown, and two picks. And you're telling me two for seven for two yards is the best they could come up with against the Jets. The Jets' defense is that tremendous. Okay. All right. They have a good defense. Don't get me wrong. Well, okay. Just put it out there. Cowboys by however many points they want before they pull their starters. Next, keeping the NFC East theme, the Commanders. Head to the West Coast to take on the Seahawks in our only other 425. Commanders going to be listing just one on their injury report. Questionable wide receiver Curtis Samuel with a toe. Seahawks going to be without offensive lineman Anthony Bradford with a knee injury slash not injury related. All right. Questionable running back DJ Dallas with a shoulder as well as running back Kenny McIntosh with a knee. Tight end Colby Parkinson is questionable with a bicep injury and linebacker Jordan Brooks questionable with a hamstring injury. By the way, in case I haven't mentioned it this episode, injury report, as always, per NFL.com. Shout out to them. Um, This is a battle between two wildcard contenders. And this year, Sam Howell has been the better quarterback, and it's really not especially close. But, with that being said, with Kenny Walker brings in the Seattle running game, along with the fact that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can take the top off of that defense. I think Seattle's going to bounce back from their embarrassing loss to Baltimore and win this one at home. Next, we've got our Sunday night football game. Are you excited, guys? Isn't it awesome? The New York Jets head to Vegas to take on the Raiders in a matchup of what is technically, I guess, still AFC wildcard contenders. The Jets are going to be without two O-linemen and Dwayne Brown and Billy Turner with a hip and a finger, as well as linebacker Chaz Surratt, tremendous name, with an ankle injury. Questionable for them, D-lineman Will McDonald with an ankle. Raiders, doubtful offensive lineman Colton Miller with a shoulder. Questionable fullback Jacob Johnson with a concussion and corner Marcus Peters with a knee. Uh, this game's going to be ugly, very ugly. You thought Panthers-Bears was ugly. Um, I'm going to take the Raiders. Because right now, Aiden O'Connell looks every bit as good as Zach Wilson, if not better. Josh Jacobs is a tremendous player, and eventually Devontae Adams will get the football in his hands. Let's see if it happens this week. That'll bring us to our Monday night matchup in another game that you probably, I'm sorry, do not want to see. Battle of the Bees, I guess, as the Denver Broncos head to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Yeah, I'm taking the Bills for obvious reasons. Next, Thursday night football. We're trading in the Sunday and Monday game, which are not great, for a Thursday night football game, which is elite. The Cincinnati Bengals head to Baltimore for their second matchup with the Ravens this year. Need I remind you who won the first one? 27-24 Baltimore in that game. 237, two touchdowns through the air for Lamar. 50 yards on the ground. Joe Burrow, 222 through the air and an interception. Oh, by the way, Jamar Chase had just 31 yards in that game. I am going to pick the Bengals. I don't think I should pick the Bengals. I think, quite honestly, Baltimore looks really, really good right now. However, 
Cincinnati's faced them once. Cincinnati faces them twice a year, so they should know what they're walking into. Not to mention, I think Cincinnati's got more momentum now than they've had all year, especially since I'm going to have them coming off of a victory this Sunday as well. Not to mention, obviously, I have Baltimore doing the same. Give me the Bengals to win this one on the road and really start building steam towards what I predicted would be a title run. Am I am I overdoing it with the commitment to this? Probably. But you know what? It's week 10, folks. You can't bail now. That'll do it for the pick'em portion of this week's episode and the entirety of episode number 177 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for joining us. If it was your first episode or your 177th, thank you for coming around and stick around next week for a week 11 preview. We'll break down everything that happens this week and more. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.